the Catherine Graham show is really quite a wonderful exploration into print media journalism in the 20th century. Uh, this is, I, I'm kind of, we're, we're going to do more than one portrait because there was more than one face to Mrs. Graham. This is the one that was on the cover of Women's Wear Daily. And she, uh, in about 1976, she's a very, in, in a very jovial mood here. And I, I talked to the woman who had actually been the art director who set this up. And Mrs. Graham was very smiley because there was a very cute young French photographer who was doing the shoot. And, and they were having a nice little correspondence as this was going along. I wanted this to offset what is the centerpiece image in the show. The Richard Avedon of her done at about the same time as that corridor shot. I always thought this looks like she just ate Hansel and Gretel. Uh, and there are people who worked with her who said that she could be like this, but she could also be like that. This is from her memoir, which came out in 1990, the late 1990s and won a Pulitzer Prize. At first, she said, uh, I did not find it difficult to be, this is early on. And she took over in 1963 at the Post when her husband died. I, didn't, I said I did not find it difficult to be a woman executive in a field dominated by men, because after a while, people forget you're a woman. That last was bravura brought on by my newness and inexperience. Women's issues hadn't yet surfaced, and I simply wasn't sensitive to how people viewed me. Since I was so painfully new and had so much to learn, the unpleasantness of being condescended to and the strangeness of being the only woman in so many rooms got mixed up in my mind. But I didn't blame my male colleagues for condescending. I just thought it was my due for being so new. Well, I want to talk just a little bit about her background, which made this all kind of surprising. <laughs> she was born to a very wealthy family. Her, her father was Eugene Meyer, who was a great financier. After the Second World War, he became the first president of the World Bank. So, I mean, he was, he was a very high-ranking financier. Her mother, Agnes Meyer, was a devotee of the avant-garde and became very good friends with some of the most amazing modernist artists Modernist, modernist artists of the 1920s. Uh, you'll notice that all the family pictures are taken by a photographer named Eugene Steichen, Eugene Edward Steichen, Steichen, because he was a family friend. But her mother was tough on Mrs. Graham because as a kid, she was tall and gangly and awkward. And her mother was very beautiful and uh, did not make life easy for her. In fact, Mrs. Graham calls her quite self-absorbed. I think that was being kind. Her father, on the other hand, was somebody that she really cared about. Not that this was a warm and fuzzy leave it to beaver family by any means, but I love this picture by Steichen of, of her and her father. Her father bought the Washington Post in 1931. Mrs. Graham was in her teens. And I think she got into the newspaper business at first because she wanted to be close to her father. In fact, after she graduated from college, she went off to uh, San Francisco and worked for a middling, middling newspaper and covered the waterfront. Had a great time. And in 1939, her father called her back to Washington to work on the Post. This is before she met Philip Graham. And, but in, in the late 30s, the Washington was filled with very bright young New Dealers. And 
Phil Graham was a clerk for Felix Frankfurter on the Supreme Court. They fell in love, got married, and for the next, oh, almost 20 years, she lived the life of somebody very wealthy. She did what one does. She had a family, did good works. Phil Graham was hired by her father to run the post after the Second World War. And so she, you know, she did what she was supposed to do. She raised money for certain philanthropies and uh, raised her family. But he was, he was bipolar, and in 1963, he killed himself. Mrs. Graham decided her oldest boy at that point, Don, was 19, and she thought she would kind of hold the fort at the paper until he got old enough. But then she liked it. <laughs> so this is a picture of her covering the Goldwater campaign in 1964. And what I love is the little handkerchief on the rail. <laughs> That's very good. Uh, this is a typical corporate shot. This is an AP, Associated Press, board meeting. But it was not unique. Every, every board, corporate boardroom probably in the 1960s and 70s looked like this. You'll notice. She's the only woman on the end there. The high point of her career, really, and of journalism, probably in the 20th century, was first the Pentagon Papers and then Watergate. And what I discovered, although she had terrific people on the staff, like Ben Bradley, the executive editor, it was Mrs. Graham who made the decisions. She, people would often be split. Should we publish? No. Or and the lawyers would be split. And it was Mrs. Graham that said, do it. Here she is working with the boys, Bernstein and Woodward. Uh, there was one great episode that is depicted in this caricature. John Mitchell, who had been attorney general but then was head of the reelection campaign for Nixon, Woodward and Bernstein discovered that he really held the stash of money for uh, a lot of criminal activities in the campaign. And Bernstein called them one night and said they were going to publish a story implicating him the next morning. And Mitchell <laughs> exploded on the phone. He said, Jesus, it's all been denied. Katie Graham's going to get her tit caught in a big, fat ringer if that's published. Well, they published it. And Ed Sorrell, who is one of our great caricaturists, drew this caricature of Mrs. Graham putting Mitchell through a ringer. And the boys, Woodward and Bernstein, gave her this ringer, which everybody signed on front. And uh, a a dentist in California used some gold to make a ringer. And Art Buchwald, who was one of the funniest men who ever lived and worked for the Post, made the breast and attached it to the ringer. And Mrs. Graham would wear this with great glee. Uh, but it was, it was also a tough time at the Post because as her career, I, I think her career kind of mapped the arc of print journalism in the 20th century. At the beginning, she's at this wonderful paper that's colorful. It reminds me of something out of the front page, you know, the wonderful Hecht MacArthur play movie, kind of rough and tumble cigarettes and fedora hats. And then the, the, the flourishing of the print journalism trade with Watergate especially. But then the coming of digitization and media changing is there was a pressman strike at the Washington Post in the late 70s. They burned all the presses. It was horrible because what they were doing was they were breaking the union and they were instituting computerized, instead of linotypes, they were doing 
going to be doing it all by computers. So it was a terrible moment. So her, her career really maps this arc of the height of print journalism and then the beginning of the end, which we're seeing even today. The other part of Mrs. Graham's life, which she considered to be part and parcel of her job as, as head of the Post, was she was very social. And presidents would come to dinner at her house in Georgetown. Her table, it was back in the days when there were great Georgetown hostesses, and Mrs. Graham's table was an important table. Things really happened at that table. Politics were decided, foreign policies were decided, and she loved it. Uh, there she is, Jackie Kennedy was one of her friends. Truman Capote threw the black and white ball for her in 1966. This is the mask that she wore. One of my favorite pictures is LBJ, when he was nominated in 1964, grabbed her, kidnapped her practically, and took her down to the ranch. She had never seen the ranch. And this, he stuffed her in a golf cart with uh, Hubert Humphrey and his wife. And, the picture of Mrs. Graham is hysterical because you can see she's not really having fun. He's on the highway at this point in a golf course. <laughs> ta -da, ta -da. One of my favorite things, oh, this is a great picture. Warren Buffett came onto the board of the Post in 1974, and Mrs. he and Mrs. Graham became very close friends. He just retired from the board this, this winter. Uh, in fact, he came. Three weeks ago, he was here to look at the show, and he was just hysterical. He just loved the show, and he was telling stories. I wish I'd had this microphone on then. Uh, but, so this is a great photograph of her with, with Mr. Buffett by Annie Leibovitz. One of my favorite things is her memoir, which I read when it first came out in the late 90s, and then I reread when we were doing the exhibition. It it's, still is, it has more meaning in different ways now than it did when I was younger. But I wanted to show a page from that manuscript because she wrote it herself and won the Pulitzer Prize for it. Because people would scoff, oh, she didn't write that well. She did write it, and she wrote it by hand. So uh, this is the first page in her handwriting of the manuscript. And this is the Pulitzer Prize. Not the certificate, but the wonderful little object itself. So the other things are, since we started out in women's issues and Women's History Month, uh, I want to show, talk a little bit about her progression. In 1966, she was asked to speak at a women's club, and she replied, I must confess, I don't really honestly feel interested in this. <laughs> My own status is, as you know, a complete accident, and I find that I could lead a man's life so completely that I do not dwell on the subject much. Uh, then she says, for me, professionally, I remained very isolated as a woman and had no one at my work to talk with about these things, certainly not in the upper reaches of the newspaper industry. But then by the end, and people say that more women were brought into the post in her tenure than at any other time in all different layers. So by the end, she really understood what she had done and, and why, and she says, the issues relating to women were on my mind constantly throughout these years, though it took me a long time to throw off some of my own early and ingrained assumptions, I did come to understand the importance of the basic problems of equality in the workplace, upward mobility, salary equity, and more recently, childcare. What the women's movement eventually did for me personally was to help me sort out my thinking. Most important to me was not the central message of the movement that women were equal, 
but that women had a right to choose which lifestyle suited them. So I think that's a very interesting comment for a woman who was kind of in my mother's generation. So do you have questions? I mean, have you all, had you heard of Mrs. Graham before? Any of you or? Oh, yes. <laughs> Yeah, and, but I, I kind of found her fascinating, not as somebody I ever met, but as somebody who was sort of thrown into a position for which she had maybe been trained in some ways, but hadn't realized it, but made quite an amazing career of it. And was, it was a key person at a crucial time in the post's history. Um, she was shaped by her father. She was close to her father. Yeah. And they had long discussions about the, the career and about you know what to do. And it, it, but she was on her own when she first came into the post and made some bad decisions, brought some bad people in. I mean, with problems of alcoholism and so on. And it, it was a different era, you know, yes. the, 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 the hard drinking, smoking journalist. I belong to the press club and there are still older members of the club who every time they walk past the bar say it's just not like the old days around here. <laughs> but, but I think, but her parents, you know, she grew up in a, in a, in a class where she, it, she was raised by nannies. Basically, and there was one story she tells in her book about she came, she was in college and she came home to the house in Mount Cisco, and the butler says, "Oh, they moved. <laughs> They're living in Washington now." I mean, this was, as I say, this was a different kind of um, upbringing. She tried. She was not that kind of mother. I think that her 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 boys sometimes made fun of her to her face about. Um, that she didn't really like to spend time in the kitchen cooking for them and things like that. We're not, again, talking about Ozzie and Harriet here, but, but she did try to make a, an effort to be closer to her, her kids. Uh, and I think she was, she's especially, she was especially close to Don, who is now head of the post. Uh, and who was very instrumental, by the way, just in a curatorial way. Some of these things, it was fun to work on this because it's always a challenge when you have an iconic figure to squeeze things into this, this room. But the woman who was instrumental in helping this happen was, is Liz Hilton. And Liz was Mrs. Graham's executive assistant for 33 years. What Liz did was after Mrs. Graham died, she archived all of her the photographs and the letters and, and the stuff, these things, including the Pulitzer, not the manuscript, were, <laughs> were in a locked closet in the executive women's washroom. And when we first started to work on this, it was like opening King Tut's, King Tut's tomb. We opened the door and, oh my god. <laughs> but the other thing is the Library of Congress is the repository for the Graham family collections. And they had the whole manuscript. And I said, I don't, I just want, you know, a page. I would prefer to have the first page. And it wasn't cataloged, and in and in and in and in. I was getting the runaround. And so I wrote Mr. Graham, who was wonderful about doing this whole show. And I said, everything is going super, except this teeny little problem. I can't get to the page. And um, in about an hour, I had a phone call from the library. And they said, did you want the whole manuscript? <laughs> yes. It was wonderful. And, and then his secretary faxed me 
uh, his re he put on my letter, he said, fix this. <laughs> so I saw it and I said, yes, thank you. So just to be, I thought, if I could always do an exhibition that had someone like Don Graham <laughs> at my back, it would be great fun. So that was fun, but it's just, it's really a wonderful story. And, and the book is in, by the way, her memoir is still in paperback, and it's, I highly suggest that it's a, it's a good read. And it's a very, it's a surprisingly revealing read, too. <laughs>